we solve life's problems with renovating. I have four children and a husband and four grandchildren. So my life is about my family and renovating has really enriched our family life. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. Hello, renovators. So today I'm doing something a little bit different. Earlier this year, I was asked to present to the Business Blueprint community on a deal that I did last year. And basically I made 700,000 profit on a deal that took me 30 days to put together and secure a contract on with no finance. It was something that came up in the course of our renovating our retirement journey. And given that we are leading into our renovating retirement workshop at the end of the month, I thought it was very appropriate. Now, if you are thinking about the fact that you may not be as well enough prepared for retirement as you would like to be, maybe you're like us, baby boomers, for whom, like certainly for me, I slipped through the cracks in the superannuation system. And basically, renovating has been the thing that has saved me in that way. If you want to learn how that works in a really interactive way, then come along and join our workshop. You'll find a link to the workshop in the show notes, but also you can just pop over to our website, www.theschoolofrenovating.com, and you'll find it on the homepage. So hope I see you there. What I want to talk about today, it's really about renovating retirement. This is a deal that just popped up in that process. There's a slight correction to make on the amount. It's just over 700,000, but I'll go through the numbers with you shortly. So firstly, whenever you're doing anything with property, you need to get advice that relates to your personal circumstances. I know this message has been shared more than once over the last two days, but it is critically important because you're talking about sums of money that you're not used to dealing with generally. And so you need to make sure that you get advice that relates to your personal circumstances from your property accountant, from your financial advisor, your finance broker. So we've had an incredible lineup of experts in this presentation over the last two days. So if you don't have a team, you're in a great place to put one together really quickly. So my name's Bernadette Jansen. I have been obsessed with renovating for over 30 years. I have a little motto that we solve life's problems with renovating. I have four children and a husband and four grandchildren. So my life is about my family and renovating has really enriched our family life. I have three businesses around renovating. Two of them I started from scratch, the School of Renovating and She Renovates. And I did that with the support of Stephen, who has been a commercial project manager building hospitals until recently when he retired. And our son, David, who is an architect and is also a member in Business Blueprint. And I basically live and breathe renovating. So as I said, this presentation has come up as a result of 
my plan to renovate my retirement. And I really feel that everyone has the capacity to create the retirement of their dreams as long as they, as everyone else has said, set their goals and take actions towards that. I'm really curious to know where you sit with this now. So if you could just select one of the points here and pop it into the chat box, that will give us an idea of where you're standing at the moment. So do you not plan to ever retire? Are you all good? Your plan's all mapped out? Are you planning to downsize your lifestyle so you won't need so much money? Are you confident that your super will take care of you? Are you thinking you might get an inheritance? Are you too far away from it to think about or is that only for old people? Which one are you? So I'll have to rely on you to give me a bit of feedback. Dale? <laughs> We've got a good mix. We've got some ones, some twos, seven I saw as well. So three, one, and maybe six. So yeah, good mix. Great. Okay. Well, listen, that's good. And there's something in here for everyone, including our seven. So what I'm going to be talking about is in particular one deal opportunity. So this came along as both an opportunity and a challenge. So I'll be sharing those details, leveraging your family home, downsizing profitably, getting into your first deal, overcoming funding challenges, and speeding up process by stacking strategies. Now, the first lesson that I want to share with you is that you have to be on the court to get results. So a lot of times we spend a lot of time in our heads, come to these events, get inspired by them, but never actually get out there taking action. I completely agree that education is power, but it's only power if you act on it. So getting on the court means that once you get started, opportunities start to open up for you. And it's a bit serendipitous. And that's how I really like to look at my property journey. Now, shortly after I turned 50, Stephen and I assessed where we were. And like many people, many women in particular in Australia, while I'd been renovating for a long time, I had no super. And so we started to look at how we could increase our potential for a comfortable retirement using the skills that I'd built over the years. We already had a line of credit set up against our family home, the equity in our family home, which we used to do our projects. But I decided that I needed to really get quite strategic about how I was going to make that difference. So I looked at all the strategies that I had dabbled in. So I'd done a bit of everything, subdivision, small development. We moved a house and moved a waterway once to create a block of land. We'd done structural renovations, historic renovations, cosmetic renovations, apartments, houses, you name it, we'd done it. But I came to the decision that I had two really big opportunities in what we had. The first one was our family home and downsizing. We'd planned to downsize. And for those of you who haven't thought about it much, downsizing is an incredible opportunity to really push up your, your asset base, like increase the amount of money that you've got in your retirement savings if that's what you're saving for. So that was the first thing. And I also wanted to create more income from property. And so I thought that development was the best way to do that because, as Amanda mentioned, it didn't require a lot of my time. And I was busy 
with our kids, with our grandchildren and building a business. And I wanted to be able to know that was happening in the background. So basically we had a line of credit on our home. I bought one property, which was a warehouse in Redfern which would be our downsizer. And one of the things, principles I like to follow is buying it before you need it because then you have the property growing in value while you're waiting to do what you want to do. So bought that property, it was 1.3 million and I bought it in Redfern. We really wanted to downsize to Paddington, but I thought Paddington, it's been, it's reached its potential. I really should be looking for an emerging suburb. And believe it or not, at that time, that was Redfern. And so we bought that property. We renovated it enough to increase its income so it wouldn't encroach on our cash flow. And we were able to spend $150,000 on that property. And then it returned us about 7% in long-term rent. The other thing about that property was I made sure that I got something that had a separate dwelling for income potential. So the ground floor of the warehouse is a separate dwelling. So we had income even when we were living in the home. And then of course the development site. Now getting that not to eat up our money was more of a problem. So it was a 1200 square meter block. We paid 825,000 for it because the zoning laws had just changed in, in the suburb in Western Sydney. And, and so prices had gone up a lot, had a house and a granny flat on it, but it was only returning $20,000 a year in rent. So at that stage, I was falling in love with Airbnb. So I thought, okay, so I'll put it on Airbnb. But when I went to analyze the potential, there was not enough data. And so for those of you who are interested in checking whether your properties will increase in return if you put them on Airbnb, there's a site called AirDNA. And what you do, you don't even need to have a paid account. You can just have a free account. You go to that site, you go to the rentalizer, which is, sorry, I'm pointing at the screen. I hope everyone knows. Yeah. So, which is down the left hand column. Uh, yeah. And you punch in the address of the property and the number of bedrooms, number of bathrooms. And that will tell you based on the data from properties around there, what the income should be. But at that time, there was not enough data. So I had to dig a bit deeper. So what I did was to post a test listing. So I put up a pretend listing to see whether there was demand and there was. And so I was able to go with Airbnb so that instead of earning 20,000 a year, I was earning 40,000 a year. And that helped to cover those holding costs. As a side note, it was a house in Granny Flat. We accommodated 12 people. And so we accommodated most of the Olympic sport teams because they'd come there to practice at the water sport venues at Penrith. We hosted equestrian teams, golf teams, motorsport teams. It was very interesting, except the COVID hit and that pretty much put an end to Airbnb in that property. And it started to look a bit like a wasteland. And also at that time, Stephen announced that he was going to retire. So I thought, okay, I better get going and get that development done. So who's the first person that you speak to if you want to do a development? I'm hoping after the two days, you'd know exactly who that is. 
Can someone type it into the chat box? What's the professional you need to tell you what you can do development-wise? Anyone come up trumps yet? Some people are saying just broker. Some people are saying Colin. Yes, Colin. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, sorry, I forgot about this bit. Also, through during COVID, I noticed that my neighbour sold her house. Now, she also planned to develop. In fact, we talked about teaming up and doing it together so we could get more capacity. But she, And I thought, gee, that's strange that she sold, but I didn't think any more of it. And so then I went to visit Colin and got what's called a preliminary planning report. And basically what he told me or his team told me was that in during COVID, during the bushfires actually, the council, Parramatta Council, actually pushed a law through that changed the requirements for multi-dwelling developments. And so now if you wanted to build townhouses, you needed 22-metre frontage. Now, most properties in that suburb have frontages of about 18 metres. So that put an end to developing it into townhouses, unless I bought another block. So I pride myself on being able to turn lemons into lemonade. So I went into overdrive, thinking about what my options were. And initially, these are the two that I came up with. I could buy 59 and develop it. So we own number 57. I could buy number 59 and develop the whole lot. Or I could team up with number 59 and sell them together. Now, it was towards well into COVID and the building prices were going up and it had been a while since I'd done a serious townhouse development. And I just decided I didn't really have the stomach for it. And so I thought the first option would be to sell the blocks that we'd team up and we'd sell them together. Incidentally, number 59's agent actually rang me and said, are you interested in teaming up to sell together? Because they're going on the market and you'll get 950,000 if you sell it on its own. But if we team up, we'll get 2.4 million, which is a significant difference. But the problem was that he had bought his 20 years ago and he'd paid $175,000 for his. And I'd bought mine probably nine years before and I'd paid eight twenty-five for it. So there was a big difference in where we were going to end up. So I'm not usually one to wring the last cent out of a deal, but I decided that I would say to him, yeah, I'm happy to do that, but I want slightly more than you. And the reason I gave was because we had access to stormwater, which is, you would know, is a critical part of developing. You've got to have stormwater runoff. And he didn't. And so I, I suggested that we sell it for 2.4, I get 1.250 and he get 1.150 in the settlement. I thought that was reasonable. He didn't. And so then I had to go back to the drawing board and think, okay, so what am I going to do next? And to be honest with you, I was a bit concerned because I'd sort of really shown my cards and I knew that he really had could have me over a barrel. And so I employed a negotiator for a few reasons. One, what I've found is that agents will tell buyer's agents 
things that they will never tell a client. And two, as a woman in that scenario, often you pay the woman tax. So I really wanted to make sure it went well. I employed a negotiator to negotiate the purchase. Yes, I expected him to hold me over a barrel. So we agreed that we'd offer 950 for start and see what happened. And we were willing to go up a reasonable amount. We couldn't believe it. He accepted 950,000. And so we paid the full 10% deposit straight away to make sure we had it secured. So I paid 95,000 out of that line of credit. But then I had to think about it and I came up with a third option. And I thought, because there was a tenant in there for four months, I thought, if I can get enough time to package them up and sell them, I don't need to get finance and I don't need to settle on the property. And so that's what I set about doing. So firstly, I asked my negotiator to go back to the owner and ask him if he was willing to allow a four-month settlement and I offered to pay $10,000 for that. Now, I probably could have got it for nothing, but there was a lot riding on it and I wanted to sweeten the deal and make sure there was no question of him not accepting it. And of course, that was like worth six months rent. So of course he said yes. So then I wanted to sell it quickly because I hadn't organized finance and I didn't intend to. So I then went to my negotiator and asked him to be a seller's advocate. He took on that role and what we agreed was that he would ring all the local agents and we'd package it all up as one deal. He'd ring all the local agents and he would see if they had any developers to buy it. Now, I knew it was hot property because that is a development heavy area and nobody could do anything unless they had two blocks side by side. So I knew I had a valuable asset. So that's how we went around it. I thought it would go quickly and that's not how it went. So over about two and a half weeks, we had three offers. The first one was 2.2. I'd said that I wanted 2.4 million no matter what. First one was 2.28. The next one was 2.35. And the next one was 2.380. And I thought, look, we're 20,000 off. I think we'll go for it. But it was conditional on them inspecting the property. I didn't really understand why, but I agreed to it. This was a Friday night and they were going to pay the deposit and then inspect the property on the Monday. They didn't pay the deposit. And on the Monday, then they started changing the rules. And so I decided that I needed to take control of the situation because it really wasn't going how I wanted it. And so I had a conversation with my seller's agent and he started to tell me I was being unreasonable. I asked him to pull the, we weren't going to go ahead with that. We needed to find a way of getting our price. And when he told me that I was being unreasonable, I realized that he wasn't as invested in the process as I was. So I thought, I just need to check that I'm, I am being reasonable because it's a really common thing for vendors to be unrealistic about what they expect for their properties. And I wanted to make sure that I was being realistic and I wasn't frustrating the process. So I thought, where better to start than with the guy that sold the house next door? So I rang him and said, this is what's happening. Am I reasonable in, in expecting 2.4 million? And he said to me, one, that my agent hadn't rung him. And secondly, that he could get me 2.4 million 
unconditional any day of the week. So I thought, okay, within 24 hours, he was back and he had an unconditional offer for 2.5 million. So an extra $120,000, which I accepted and we cracked champagne. So it seems a little bit surreal because that's the most money I've ever made in a deal. But it really just unfolded. And I think when I say get onto the court, it's really about getting educated, being able to recognise deals, because clearly my neighbour didn't recognise it, and then being able to make the most of them. So these are the numbers. So I paid $8.25 for one property, $9.50 for the second, but didn't finance it, only the deposit. I paid an extra 10000 to have the four-month settlement. So the whole lot cost me 1.785 and sold both of them for $2.5 million, which left 715000 However, the costs on that deal amounted to 130000 So there were two lots of stamp duty and the agent's fees, which came to that much. But even so, it was an enormous amount of money and a very exciting thing to do. So just some tips. First one, get on the court. Second one, build a back brains trust because if you don't have people around you that are in the property game, you know how Jim Rohn says you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, you sort of gravitate down to the most the common denominator. So you want to build a brains trust of people who understand what you're doing and are able to advise you intelligently and pull you up. So when I was in that, the first conversation when I discovered that the guy next door was ready to sell, I really, I was really too busy for it. I was in a business blueprint wealth summit, watching the wealth summit. And I had, I was trying to run my business through Slack at the same time. And I was just really distracted by it all. And I had a chat to Joe Vidillo, one of my property besties. Many of you would know her. And she said to me, I really think you should take notice of that deal because I think there's a lot in it. And she was absolutely right. So having a dedicated brains trust is essential. For deals requiring land transactions, you must have a town planner to help you navigate the planning laws. You want to know the value of what you are selling So being really clear about the value and often for people selling deals, that's hard because they get emotionally attached to it. Don't abdicate responsibility to professional. It's fine to let them do their job, but you really still need to keep your eye on the ball. I've seen this also with students using buyer's agents, ending up buying things that are really not that great because they have abdicated all the due diligence to the buyer's agents and not gone through the numbers themselves. And the last one is don't think that everyone thinks like you, okay? So be open to possibilities. So when you're putting a low offer in and you're sure they're not going to accept, sometimes they do. So just really try things out. This is the She Renovates podcast. To discover how to harness the power of renovating, check out theschoolofrenovating.com.